Good morning and welcome to Friday morning, January the 7th in 2022 on When Our Eyes. Today we come to the end of year C, the first Sunday of Epiphany. And on the Friday of the week, we'd like to take a look at the gospel passage that comes from this week and the Revised Common Lectionary, which outlines the church calendar year and all its different seasons and times. And the gospel text for the week is one that we would expect during Epiphany, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1-12. through 12. So let me read that passage, provide a couple points for reflection, and we'll spend our time praying along the theme that we find there. Thanks for making us part of your morning on When I Rise. Let's allow our souls to rise and meet God together in a time of prayer. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of the religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said. For this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from the time when the first star appeared. Then he told them, Go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. When you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went on their way. And the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. and went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary. And they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. This is the word of God for us. In this interesting passage, I find three different paradoxes and one underlying subversive truth that Matthew's seeking to convey, at least in my mind. So the first paradox is the Magi themselves. They're from a distant land. Uh, they don't speak the language. They're not residents of Israel. Uh, so they should be, uh, you know, a little bit immature in their faith, if they even have one in Judaism, or they should be ignorant of all the facts. But yet they're the most informed people that arrive into Jerusalem that day. So that's one paradox is that these outsiders are well informed. The second one is that uh, these religious leaders that Herod uh, seeks uh, their advice, uh, the, the question of where the Messiah is supposed to be born, um, they know the answer, but they don't seem to be too energized or curious to leave their stacks of books behind where they're studying, I guess, to go see if this claim for the Messiah in Bethlehem has actually come to pass. So they are the most informed, but they are the least responsive in regards to this mystery of Messiah being born. The third paradox is that um, King Herod is supposed to be the one who is in charge, but he seems to be the one who's the least in charge in this whole picture. I mean, here he comes. Like he, he's supposed to be ruling over Israel, but he's seeking answers to questions he doesn't know. 
And uh, when he sternly warns these visitors to come back to the palace after they figured out things in Bethlehem, um, he's duped a second time because they go about a different route and and he's unable to get the answer that he's looking for. And so all this is swirling around Jesus. Jesus seems to upend. This is maybe what, what Matthew's trying to convey. Jesus is upending all the preconceived notions. And perhaps that's what Jesus still does today. He makes the proud humble, and then he exalts those who are humble into prominent places. Uh, Jesus is the lowly king, and where he was from a lowly place, and the corner of the world tucked into the Roman Empire, of the most insignificant places at the time, but he becomes the most influential person in world history. Jesus, who never journeyed uh, 30, maybe 50 mile radius from where he was born, changes the whole globe and there are now people from every tribe and tongue and language we're getting closer and closer to people from every people group praising the name of jesus right so jesus continues to upend the things that we have preconceived notions about but i think there's a subversive truth in here as well remember once again it seems like what the gospel writers are doing in this this introduction pieces to all the gospels is they give overtures they are sampling greater themes that begin to work their way out through the rest of the gospel. We know that as we read Matthew's gospel, we know that there's there is a phrase that's repeated again and again. It has been fulfilled. It's up to 10 times Matthew talks about fulfillment, either fulfillment of tradition or the fulfillment of scripture in some roundabout way. I mean, those are scattered all over the gospel. A lot of them are in the birth narrative, and then they begin to sprinkle uh, towards the end throughout the end, uh, from here towards the end of the gospel themselves. And so Matthew is he's talking about something being fulfilled or a story that is un, unmet or unfulfilled coming to a rightful conclusion. Um, I think those who are aware of the Old Testament story, they would have recognized the significance and the weight of these dignitaries from the east arriving uh, to Jerusalem in order to pay homage to Israel's king and to shower them with gifts. So there's a story back in the the Old Testament where King Hezekiah was able to kind of fend off a first major invasion from the Assyrian Empire. But in doing so, he tries to broker a deal with the Babylonian Empire. He invites them and he shows them all the riches and all the storehouses and all the stuff. And it basically turns into a reconnaissance mission. Babylonians come generation later and they begin to ransack Israel until Jerusalem is overthrown. And so the first time that dignitaries from a foreign land come to Israel in the Old Testament past, they come and they take from God's people and they demolish them. Here is the upending of something. That there is a new time and a new era and that when dignitaries from far away come to Jerusalem, they don't come to take, but they come to give back. And that seems to be a bit of what the gospel is about. It's about taking these devastating moments, these dark moments of Israel's history, instead of um, God scrapping Israel's story and saying it's too far gone to be redeemed, God begins to bring people back and there's an unwinding of curses. There's an unwinding of hard moments in in their past. And now they're being replaced by a glorious reality of who this child is going to be. And we see that theme beginning to emerge here and begins to work its way out through the end of the story. And so what does that mean for us today uh, as we get closer and closer to the first Sunday in Epiphany? I think for us what that means is that our story is not too far gone. 
uh, the broken things of our story can be mended back together, God will take what is there, even if it's not very impressive, and he will do something with it that's redemptive and that's good. I think some of us might be in a lowly place today where we think, man, I've really messed up my life or I haven't made much of it. I haven't taken my opportunities. I've been too calculated. I've been way too safe and I've missed opportunities. And it seems like I'm never going to see glorious things happen. Well, as we approach our God, we put put our lives in his hands, our stories into his hands. God can do something with it far more than we can ask or imagine. So with that in mind, let's spend some time praying to our God this morning. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you today that we arise to meet you, our souls rise to meet you, the God of the long shots, the God of eternity, the God who can take things as they are and make them more beautiful and more good. And so we put our lives into your hands once more. God, some of us would confess that uh, life's just been kind of bumbling along and nothing much has been made of it. Um, we've maybe have fallen short or we haven't taken risks or we haven't um, tried anything that's way over our heads which would require you to help us in order for it to come to pass because some of us were to confess that we don't know if our life is heading anywhere and we seek direction today god i think you that uh, there's still time on the clock that uh, your grace is enough and that your power is perfected in our weakness and in our brokenness and so, God, we pray that you be the redemptive God in our lives today. I pray for anybody whose life feels like it's, un- it's just unraveling, it's fraying at the edges, and there's a risk that it's going to completely unravel. God, I pray that you would weave us back together and that you would fill us with life and purpose once more. God, for those of us who would confess that we have just been too calculated, we've just been too cautious because we're afraid to fail, I pray that we would trust in your grace and that we would take our leap of faith, and I pray that you would be with us as we do so. God, for those of us who have been hurt by others and we flinch at the the thought of trying something new because we'd rather stay safe and protected than to be exposed once more. God, I pray that you, we would might, might be able to recognize that you have never left us, that uh, there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, that we can trust you and that we can trust others again. And so, God, we pray in the midst of all that, you give us wisdom, you give us hope, that you allow our lives to to increase, that you allow our lives to go to a fruitful place so that we can rejoice in you as we see you do great and marvelous things. God, we love you. Fill us today. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.